So all of us should make investments. All of us should have as a goal to be debt-free so that we may give optimally and so that we may be generous. And that's the, the thought of the month. This morning, I'm going to reiterate, reinforce, perhaps even repeat some of what Tim shared with you, but from a different angle and in a different way. My thesis is this. A generous heart has as its source a thankful heart. The measure of our generosity will be heavily influenced by the measure of our thankfulness. Now, it's not an algebraic formula, but they are connected. And I want to display that this morning as we look into God's Word. The title of the message is Walking into Thanksgiving. We will walk there. It's not a natural thing, as Tim mentioned. It's not something that we do uh, just right off the bat, especially as children. And yet we can learn and we walk into Thanksgiving. Some people are more equipped. Some people are more bent that way uh, than others. About this time of the year, I, I have a practice in the last few years to buy donuts for my students. I teach here at the high school, and uh, each class has a day where I go over and get the donuts, and they're happy. And I, I used to make bread. I, I'd get up 4.30 in the morning, make the dough, and bring it to school, and I, I, don't, I can't do that anymore. I'm 66 years old, and I just don't have the energy to wake up that early and, and knead and all that. But... And besides that, the kids like the donuts more than fresh, homemade bread. You know, I don't know where they are, but that's life. I've made observations through the years, and those observations were concerning students. I'm not judging them, but I watched, and some of them are very thankful. And Mr. McGarvey, thank you for that, and, and they still do that. And others kind of, you know, you don't hear it from them. That's okay, I don't do it for, to hear that. I do it because I want to represent Jesus Christ and his love, and I want to share that with my students. But my point is, some of us have this heart of thanksgiving more than others. So what inhibits us? What discourages us sometimes from that spirit, that heart of thanksgiving? We're going to look at four passages, and I'm going to give you four exhortations that come from those passages. Now, the first three, we're going to read them, but we're just going to key on one little phrase or one little sentence. So I'm not going to exegete. I'm not going to, you know, break forth all that's in that passage. So be patient with that. The last one, I am going to do some of that, okay? The first three, just a phrase or sentence. The last one is going to highlight us into this walk into thanksgiving. So let's look into the scriptures. Mark chapter 8 first passage. It's a passage in which Jesus is teaching his disciples, and he tells them who he is, and then Peter says who he is, and then we begin with verse 31. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. You know good old Peter, right? But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Now, let's not, you know, hold Peter, uh, hold anything against Peter in this too much. You know, he's trying to support his man, right? 
Jesus was his man, and he didn't want anything to happen to him. Remember, he was the one who drew the sword later on. So he, he wasn't going to let anyone diss his homie, right? Some of you understand that one. I'm from Philadelphia, so you have to forgive me. And then Jesus says, and calling, or Mark says, and calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. And this is the verse, two verses that I want us to really hone in on. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? Deep, deep words of Jesus. My exhortation is this. Pay attention to your soul. You see, if we don't pay attention to our soul, we think of earthly things. And we need to think of earthly things. We're survivors. We need to eat. We need to sleep. We have a, need to have a, a, a roof over our head. But Jesus, remember, rebuked Peter. You're, you're thinking of man things rather than God things. So we need to pay attention to our souls. There is nothing more important that matters. We need to give time to it, to cultivate it. This takes some discipline at times. and We need to work through that day after day after day. I'm preaching to the choir here. Come on, you guys are involved with this all the time. And yet, I'm not going to presume that each one of you are cultivating your soul each day, each month, and each year. And young people especially, it's not easy to do that, is it? To be faithful. But boy, if you learn it as a youngster, oh, it's such a blessing. One of the ways I did it was memorizing Scripture. You guys memorizing Scripture? Beautiful, beautiful. That's a way to cultivate it. Uh, and those of you who are older, will you agree with me? It's harder to memorize scripture as you get older. Yeah. When uh, Tim and Mike were doing Ephesians 1, I said, I'm going to memorize Ephesians in the ESV. And you remember how far I got? First chapter and about three verses in the second chapter, and I was done. Because I had already done it in the NASB, and my mind was just going like haywire because I had memorized the whole book in one translation. I was trying to do it in a, It was good, you know, those synapses were, were firing in different ways. Good to fight the dementia, you know. That's just one way. Cultivate. Give time to. Daily. And if you're not doing that, you can do it tomorrow. You can do it today. But it's so important. Jesus is saying to us, pay attention to your soul. This leads us, if we do, to paying attention to other people's souls, doesn't it? That's important too. Why are we here? Why do we start this whole thing? Why does it keep going? Because we care about people's souls. We care about their bodies. We want to feed them. If a person's not being fed, they're not going to think of their soul. So that's an instrument. What did Jesus do? He healed people. It was a means to an end, though. It was a means to an end to get them to think about spiritual things. And so caring for our souls and caring for our others' souls is important. They are made in the image of God. And I don't pray all the time for all my students, but as I think of 30 years of teaching, I probably had 2,000 students. And I saw one the other day. He was 
uh, subbing. And I don't remember names, but I'd never forget a face. And I said, I had you, didn't I? Yeah, Ryan Billings he was. Great kid. Loved him. Prayed for him when he was a student. Now I'm going to pray for him again. Just that's what God wants us to do, to pay attention to souls, to pray, to be involved, to share the gospel. When we pay attention to our souls, we'll be walking into thanksgiving and we'll be able to take other people into that thanksgiving. Mark chapter 8. Now Romans 1 and exhortation 2. So pay attention to your soul. I'm going to begin with uh, verse 16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Martin Luther saw that verse and it changed his life. That's the gospel. But Paul now gives us, through the Holy Spirit, God's indictment on the whole human race. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. And here's the verse I want us to focus in on. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. What's the exhortation? Don't believe the lie. Don't exchange the good, good, good father, that's God, for the bad. That's us and anything else that takes God's place. Tim Keller wrote a book, uh, Counterfeit Gods, Idols, he's talking about. Anything that replaces God. Now, we don't have animals too much. You know, if you go to India and Hinduism, they have these representations um, of animals and they worship them and they in America, we have idols, don't we? American idol. Not American hero or heroine, but American idol. We have turned into a culture that worships us rather than him, that worships the body, honors the body a whole lot more than it should rather than honoring and worshiping him. Now, our bodies are important. Tim made that point last week, right? Flex, flex those muscles. And I'm going to the gym after hunting. I haven't been to the gym in a long time. But I need to do it for my heart. And I'm going, not just an intention, call me on it next month, December, but I got to hunt. That's exercise too, so I, I'm, I'm doing all right. 
Climbed a lot of hills yesterday. Physical exercise is good. Paul says it gains you something, but it's spiritual exercise that gets you the greater gain. Let me ask you, what do you worship? Who do you worship? How do you worship? Do you worship your creator? Do you worship his son and his spirit? Later on, after I'm finished, we're going to sing doxology, father, son, and spirit. Uh, you know me, some of you do. Songs are what makes me worship. It's just me and the one I have now. I, I, I like Still Survivor. Remember the last time I shared with you, Joe sang it, and I, I still listen to that in the mornings. But the new one I have is Waymaker. Love it. You are here, moving in our midst. I worship you. I worship you. You are here working in this place. I worship you. I worship you. You are way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. That is who you are. I've been singing that. So, sorry for the off key or whatever. It doesn't matter to God, right? And in the morning, I just sing it. Ah. My wife's getting tired of it, I think, but not really. She likes the song, too. Right, dear? Thumb up? All right, thumb up. <laughs> Sometimes you can sing a song too much, you know, but I love the line, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop working. You never stop working. Ah, all right. How do you worship? Do you worship him? Don't exchange the glory of man for the glory of God. It is so much greater. It is so much a part of our lives if we're Christ followers. And sometimes we do. We buy the lie and we live it out. All right. Third text, Luke 15. And all of these are familiar. The reason I'm reading through them is they may not be familiar to you. But this one's the parable of the prodigal son. There are three stories here. The lost sheep, the lost coin. Now we have the prodigal son, verse 11 of Luke 15. And he said there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And divided, he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the young, younger son gathered all that he had, took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his field to feed pigs. Imagine a Jew feeding pigs. It's a low point. He was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. And then look what it says. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father. Exhortation three, always come to your senses. That's what some translations say here. He came to his senses. He came to himself. He realized what he had done. Ever been there? Are you there now? Just in the deep depth of sin? 
in that place where it's so ugly and it's so hard to live and yet you know you don't like it. Come to your senses. Come to himself. The prodigal son did. If you're veering off, come back. Jesus said, come unto me all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Psalm 23, it says, he restores my soul. Do you need to have your, your soul restored this morning? Jesus can do it. No matter what path, no matter how long, no matter how deep, you have the opportunity to come back. You won't be thankful if you're living there. You won't have a thankful heart. Do you ever think about this? There are a lot of unlikely prodigals. Randy Newman wrote a book about evangelism and he told the story of his dad. His dad was Jewish, his mom was Jewish. Grew up in a secular Jewish household. My father was not very religious at all, he said. In fact, I said he was angry at God because of all the evil he saw in his childhood and then when fighting in World War II. But he softened when he saw how my mother came to faith. And it was so meaningful to her. My dad started attending, along with my mom, a messianic Jewish congregation where he heard the gospel week after week after week and eventually became irresistible to him unlikely prodigals. You guys heard about Kanye? Kanye West? I don't know if you follow the news at all. Um, I'm scared, but I've been praying for Kanye. I don't know him. You know, I just know his name. He's famous, and I've seen famous people come to the Lord, and it's very hard for them, isn't it? Uh, because they're right in the spotlight all the time. So pray for Kanye. He, he's been ministering. He's, he has a choir, and I think he's come to the Lord. His heart is there right now. Unlikely prodigals. You and I are unlikely prodigals. Little Catholic boy, right? Uncle had, a, had an uncle who was a priest. My second cousin was a priest and he became a monsignor. I had two second cousins. They were like aunts to me. They were nuns. I used to be in my basement when I was 10 years old saying the Mass I can still remember the Latin, all that, all that I did. Growing up, they thought I was going to be a priest. And then I rebelled. I, I didn't like what the church was doing. It seemed hypocritical. And so I went. And then some people began to share with me in my junior year of high school about the gospel. But I didn't hear it. They were, they were sharing it, but I didn't hear it. And then I looked at them and said, eh, I don't know about your life. And then senior year, ran into some guys, and they took me to a coffee house. That's when I started playing the guitar. They used music to reach me. An unlikely prodigal. I could go on with my story, but I'll stop right there. You have that same story, don't you? We are all unlikely prodigals. And God wants us to come to him. His arms are always open. He's the father. He's the good, good father who made the motion toward his son and embraced him and loved him. And that's the beauty of the gospel. If you have a sense of what God has done in your life, you will have a thankful heart. And that leads us to Ephesians chapter 1. I got about five minutes, not even. 
Ephesians chapter 1. Mike and Tim preached through this whole book a couple of years ago. I can't even remember what year it was. It seems every year mushes into the other, it seems, when you get older. But I remember this chapter, and I remember uh, it took about two or three weeks to get through just the first part of the chapter, and then I think two or three weeks to get through. Tim was uh, speaking the last part, two weeks, I think it took you. Yeah. So I'm going to do in three minutes what, you know, they did in six weeks. Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Oh, now look at these blessings. I'm just going to touch on them. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know how you interpret or how you understand choosing or how you understand predestination. And people who have believed have varied in their um, interpretations of this. So I'm not after yeah, it's persuading you of a, an interpretation, but what I want you to do is not gloss over that. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. God had a plan long ago in eternity past, and he made us part of that, predestined us to adopt us. Oh my goodness. If that doesn't inspire a, a thankful heart, um, I almost give up preaching. You know, because eternity passed. Tom, Tim, Mike, Lisa, Jay, Denise, I could name you all. He included us. Oh, meditate on these verses. Just think about them. That's why I memorized the whole book because I was so impacted by this first chapter according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace which, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Now look at the, what the Son has done. In him, that is Jesus, we have redemption through his blood. We don't understand redemption, but do you know there are 25, 30, maybe 40 million slaves today in the world? And there are people, some of them are brothers and sisters, and they're going around the world rescuing people, redeeming. Some are actually paying money to the owner, quote unquote. That's what redemption is, to be bought back, to be rescued, to be delivered. Now, they're bringing them to another country, bringing them to safe houses so that they won't be caught again by those slaves. That's what Jesus did for us. He redeemed us. He rescued us from ourselves, from Satan, and from sin. And then it says he gave us the forgiveness of our trespasses. Can you count how many times you sin? Do you think it's in the millions? I don't know. 66 years? Justin's saying, yes, you've, you've had a short life. I don't think the millions, but, you know, maybe you're right. Who knows? Every little thought, every little, you know, millions, maybe billions. And he has forgiven us. Well, that's my cue that I should wrap it up. It's a good cue. You can read the rest of this text. He made known to us the mystery he included us in his wonderful plan. And then, verse 14, he sealed us with the Holy Spirit. 
Oh, I'm thankful, Lord. I'm thankful. Are you this morning? I've given you a lot of theology, but theology should always result in doxology. What's in our head, what we learn should always result in our expression back to him. We're going to do that in this song we're going to sing, and that is the doxology. We're going to praise Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But my prayer is the same as Paul's in this first chapter of Ephesians. He said, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened so that you might know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. Everybody here? I'm out of here. I just want to challenge you this week as you gather on Thursday just to read Ephesians chapter 1 together or another text that you like and center in on the God that we just sang about, the God that we praise every day, all our ways. God be praised. We want him to be praised. Father, we thank you that you are the one who gives us cause for that praise. You are the one who sent your son to display your love, to show that you are all in, that you are for us. And so with grateful hearts, Lord, we say, God be praised, God be praised, God be praised. And all God's people said, amen. You are dismissed.